you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'd encourage you also to take your bulletins if you have it. There's a sheet on the back. The, the last page gives you kind of an outline of the main points for the sermon. In a sense, like a table of contents of what we're going to be looking at. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles and one of the chairs in front of you. In fact, if you don't have one, we'd invite you to take it and make it, as, make it a gift from us to you and write your name in it and use it. And that you could find it on page 992, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in the middle of verse 5 in just a minute. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. This is a and fathers and husbands and wives and men and women, all ages. It's a big warning sermon. It's a big, there's a great, great glory in front of you kind of sermon. It is something for each one of our souls. I wonder if, if you had an offer given to you today that said you have a choice. If you sign here, you will receive... In the next month, $100 million, I wonder if you would say yes to that. I think you would say, I don't wonder if I would say yes to that. But I hope this passage of Scripture makes you pause at least and actually feel a little bit of a, a, a reverent to the Bible kind of fear and awe, trembling to say, that would be really dangerous if I received $100 million. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I'm, gonna, I'm jumping in the middle of a paragraph. What we're doing here is we're in this passage because we've been taking, we've been taking about 10 weeks on 1 Timothy, seeing different themes that Paul tells Timothy hey, this is how a church ought to behave as God's people, as God's family. So we saw church leaders, and we taught they, the membership are to be godly people, godly women, godly men, godly elders, godly deacons. This morning, we're going to we'll come to our second to last sermon on Timothy, and I'm going to challenge us all to use money to hope in God. Because Paul says, watch out, there's going to be false teachers. Think of the prosperity teachers like Benny Hinn or many of the ones that are on TV that they're going to say, you give this money and you're going to receive this. If you give, desire is to prosper you and to make you healthy and wealthy and wise doesn't matter. But you could go after these things. And Paul says, there are people that they think godliness or religion will make them have a lot of gain. Look at verse 5. Look at the last phrase. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Here's Paul writing to Timothy, verse 6. But godliness with contentment, being satisfied with your lot, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and you got it, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, really, if we have food or coverings, 
With these we will be content. Mark verse 9. But those who desire to become rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pan of God. You could really say, as for you, O men of God and women of God, flee these things. Flee the wanting to be rich, desiring riches and loving money, and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So he wraps up the letter. He's writing, he, he says a few more command, four instructions. And then it's as though he says, okay, I just told them, those that maybe aren't rich, but they want to be rich, watch out. In fact, you see that with false teachers. They're going to allure you in. They're trying to get rich in their godliness. Watch out. Desiring to, rich, desiring to get rich is problematic. And then Paul finishes and he goes, oh, wait a minute. In this church of Ephesus, there are already a lot of people that are rich. I got I to end with something. Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, proud, boastful, of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What is your relationship to money? Do you love it? Do you hate money? Do you get anxious over the topic of money? Are you indifferent to it? Do you enjoy money? Do you use it well? Are you rich? Define rich. Do you think of yourself as rich? Or are you poor? Or do you think of yourself as poor? What do we mean by poor? And do you want to be rich? Or at least a lot better off than you are now. Do you ever find yourself dreaming but acquiring that? Just, just, just a little bit more or a lot more. If, if so, then we would be content. And boy, in fact, God, it would be really good if I won the Powerball, and I would give 10% to the Lord. No, 11. When you get your tax returns, if you get one, um, what do you think? What am I going to do with that money? What comes first to your mind? 
How happy are you with the financial status of your life? If you're in debt, why are you in debt? What decisions were made that brought you to that place? Can you actually say in your life, I am absolutely happy with the fact that God has put me exactly where he has me. And though I am not encouraged by decisions I have made, I'm thankful that God is in complete control. And I want to be really careful how I think and have a relationship with money because it can be really deadly and it can be really a means of hoping in God. So I want to be really attentive to this subject. With this in mind, let's turn. we see in this text that the Apostle Paul addresses two categories of people, and in fact, they can often overlap. Did you see the first category of people was at the beginning of my reading, which are those that desire to be rich, those that have a temptation to love money. And it overlaps because the second group can be the same. And the second group are not just those that desire to be rich, it's those that are rich. And I say that you might be rich and you still love money and you desire more money. In fact, that is almost always, not always, but almost always the case. Apart from the grace of God or the school of hard knocks. So these passages, let's apply, I, want us to, I want you to ponder these things. There's a lot that could be said and I want you to think of a few phrases that are throughout this. First in verse 6. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So, I'm going to say godliness with contentment, and I'm going to say, and I would ask you as a congregation to say, is great gain, okay? So, godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's try it one more time. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what Paul says. He says, godliness... And being satisfied with what you have is great gain. And he means gain in that it's way more valuable than the gain of getting rich and following a scheme or a plan where you have temporary financial security. And then in this passage, he says, I want you to flee something and I want you to pursue something. It says, if you are interested in following God's plan and God's way. You love God. Oh, Timothy. And, and he's really applying, and all the church that Timothy is teaching, flee, run away from. Just, I mean, you see this? You run the other direction because it's so deadly. Flee something and, and, and pursue something else. That's what we do in life. We flee something and we pursue something. Here he says, you are to flee these things. Flee these things. Flee the desiring of money. The desiring of riches. Flee that love of money. And pursue the real thing. Pursue faith and godliness. Things that last, that bring joy, that bring meaning in life. Pursue those things. Poor and rich. There's a lot of categories you could say. There's, there's poor, or you could say non-rich. You might put yourself in that. I'm not poor, but I don't feel like I'm rich. Maybe I'm non-rich. Maybe 
So, the, so poor, there's different categories. Let me, there are some poor in this world that are so poor that they do, they're starving, literally. They don't, they're naked almost. They don't have adequate clothing. And they're homeless. They have no lodging. They're really poor people. There's not as much in this country. There are some, but in so many parts of the world and in the history of this world of humanity, there's been many, many people that have been that kind of poor. Then there are those that are poor that they have only food. And they only have the bare minimum coverings. This word, clothing, that Paul uses actually means coverings, which could mean your clothing and lodging, some, a roof over your head. There are some that barely just have that. They have that. We would consider them still poor. Then there's the rich or the not poor. They have food and clothing and lodging, and they have more. They have leftover. And some have a lot leftover. Some have a lot left over that they can get up and go buy donuts. They can get up and they can have a subscription to DirecTV. They can, they can get a boat. They can, they can have a cabin up north, a second home. They can go on vacations. They, they can get things at Home Depot and make repairs. They're, they have more than the poor. And there's a lot of people that have a lot, but are burdened and feel poor because of many circumstances, some being decisions they made with their money or circumstances that come in their life that cramp their, their life. They're poor and they're rich. How are they to use their money? Or how are they to look at money? And I want to challenge everyone in this room, whether you consider yourself on the scale of, I'm probably on the higher scale of rich, or down here at the almost bare necessity, I pray that you will, in your circumstance, go, how does God want me to view money? And could it be that no matter what, I am, what circumstance I am, where I'm up here or I'm down here on the money scale, God's got a really, really good plan to take care of me and love me and care for me that is far better than Bill Gates. So, this morning, I, I kind of want to boil all this down to eight points that kind of are, are, are like just their principles. They are they're, they're truths that Paul gives us that I, they build on each other and I think give us the substance of what he said to those who desire to be rich and those who are rich. And he says, oh, I want you to find that there's something so much better in this subject. So let's look at them. Here's eight things. First of all, number one, being satisfied in God or contentment is far better than being rich. If you have your notes there, they're on the back sheet. Being satisfied in God is far better than being rich. Oh, I hope you hear that. When I say, I, I have in parentheses, contentment is being satisfied in God. Do you know being contented is not just being a stoic that says, well, whatever will be, will be. I'm just going to choose to be I'm going to be at peace outside of all my circumstances because I learned this breathing technique or I learned some type of new age kind of positive thinking skill. That's not what he's talking about. Contentment, which is being satisfied no matter what happens in your life, what circumstances, 
comes from an idea that I am satisfied in God and His will for me. Christian contentment. 300 years ago, Jeremiah Burroughs wrote this beautiful book called The Rare Jewel of Contentment, of Christian Contentment. And he, he spent the whole book talking about being contented in God. And he said this, Christian contentment is that sweet inward. It's, there's this, it's inward. There's a peace, a gracious frame of spirit which freely and joyfully submits and even delights in God's wise and fatherly care in ordering my circumstances. I want to be there. I'm not there like I need to be there. I hope that as you grow to know this God, you'll want to be there. Where you'll say, no matter what comes, yes, I'm burdened about so-and-so when he makes a painful decision, and I mourn over that. That's... You still mourn over sin and you mourn over circumstances and tragedies. But there is this undergirding peace and trust that my God is over me. If He's for me, who can be against me? He will take care of me. There's a contentment. And the first thing that Paul wants us to understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. Being satisfied in God is far, far better than getting that $100 million check or winning the lottery or getting the job that's going to set you secure or, or saving that money or having that, in, that retirement plan or all those things taken care of. Being godly and trusting in God and being satisfied in Him is far better. Don't believe the lie. He says, the psalmist Sing about this all the time. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You fill my lot, David says. The lines that have come into my life, the boundaries, the things that you put in my life, they have, I trust in you. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If, if you're my shepherd, I have all. It is God's desire for us. It is His plan for us to so know this God that we find Him to be our all in all. And Paul wants that in this passage. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Second thing I want you to see here is that collecting things in this life is useless in the end and is illustrated in birth and death of all people. Do you see that in verse 7? Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, you go, that's kind of obvious, and some of you are in, and Nick, and, and you guys know that nobody really, we all know, nobody takes anything with them when they die, and I don't think Jocelyn had anything on when she, she came into the world a couple weeks ago, right, Mike and Melissa? I mean, all of us know that we come into the world completely naked, completely destitute, completely dependent on everything else. We can't take anything with us into the world. And he's saying, and, and you also know you can't take anything out with, with you. And, and the point here is you need to keep this perspective. The collecting of things in the end is useless in and of itself. It's not wrong to have certain things for certain purposes. Oh, but do not deceive yourself to think that it's going to be really valuable to you in the end. So, 
Have perspective here, he says. Remember, that money is useless if you can't take it with you. So you might as well think differently about that money. I read a fable to the kids last night from Aesop's fable. Is some rich miser. He decides to sell all his possessions and buy one big solid block of gold and he buries it and never ever uses it. Ever once in a while goes and looks at it because he likes to look at it. Never spends any of it. One day someone finds out about it, steals it, puts a view that it's there. I mean, it's, it's the money that we have will do us no good in the end. So let's think rightly about it. That's what Paul said. Now, the third thing, so the second is collecting things in this life is useless in the end, as illustrated in birth and death of all people. He's just, think about that. Now, the third thing is the necessity of the necessities of life. You know, like, I need this. The necessities of life are a lot less than you often think, and the godly learn to be content with those things. Boy, is this convicting for 21st century Americans. Boy, have we expanded the word need, the definition of need in our culture, hasn't it? Haven't we? I need this. And I'll tell you what, there are some dear brothers and sisters in in Uganda, in Zambia, in Cameroon, Parts of, in many parts of Asia, they look at you and go, can I just have a fresh supply of water for the month? That'd be really nice that I don't get malaria or dysentery. That would be really nice. And, and we feel like we're deprived. If we, if we couldn't have date night, special event, or if we can't afford Netflix anymore, and I say all these things, I, I personally sit here and go, I am really rich compared, compared to most of the world. I view myself as very wealthy in the history of the world. And even in America, I'm so blessed. I have so many niceties, not necessities. And Paul says, get perspective. The necessities of life are this. He says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will... All be content. And oh, Paul knew this. He writes to the Corinthians that he was basically, he was without proper clothing. And he was without housing. He was exposed to the weather elements many times. He was without food. He He went through great trial. And so he writes to the Philippians and he says, I have learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied in God. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And he's saying, I can be strengthened to be satisfied in God, whether I'm really poor and needy, basically having barely my necessities met, or when I have abundance. And so the third thing that this passage tells us is, get some perspective as you think on all these things. Your needs are a lot more narrow than you thought. And so as you think of all the rest of the points, we need to go, oh God, reorder my view of need. And in fact, my, our greatest, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, provide and God, give me spiritual bread and be content in you. So the third thing is 
our necessities are a lot more narrow than we thought. And the godly learn to be content. Oh, but, but, but we struggle with being content, don't we? we? We struggle with this mindset. Maybe you do. You struggle with the mindset of saying, okay, I'm here, but I, I don't want a lot. But if I could just, if I could just get a little bit more, then I'd have that buffer. And that, that buffer would be comfortable. Or if I could just get to this place and I just, I just need this. I, okay, maybe I don't need it, but I feel like I need it. So I need it. No, give me some good mental health. And I'll be happier. I, if I can get this, then I will be content. The guy that I told you about, Burroughs, who wrote on contentment hundreds of years ago, he gives a great illustration of this contentment. And he's, he's, he's going to say, by the way, don't think that way. Instead, think what has God called me to? And that's be content in the circumstances I am and to love God and trust him in this circumstance. Let that be your focus. And that is vital to overcoming this, this discontented, grumpy, not thankful for the things in your life. And this is what he says. He says, we can be like children in this discontentment. He says, perhaps you, they, these children... Imagine children climbing a hill and look a good way off and see another hill. And they think, if, if I was at the top of that hill, then I'll be able to touch the clouds with my fingers. But when they're on top of that hill, alas, they're as far from the clouds as they were before. So it is with those who think, if I were in those circumstances, then I would be happy. I, then I would be content. But then they think that if they were in their other circumstances, they'd be contented. But when they've got into those circumstances, they're still as far from contentment as before. No, he says, let me consider what is the duty of my present circumstances and help me to content my heart in this and say, well, even if I'm in a low position, I feel really poor, not, not a lot in my life, yet I get to serve the Lord He's allowed this. And I get to show an example of what it looks like to trust in God in these circumstances. And someday, He'll wipe away all tears and all any need in my life and allow me to rejoice at His table in glory forever. I want you to see number four. The dream of being rich is a nightmare, not a fantasy. The dream of being rich is a nightmare but, and not a fantasy. Do you realize that it is, it is a bad thing to want to be rich? It is. That, that sounds strong. It even sounds kind of legalistic. What? It's a bad thing to want to be rich? I want to be rich so I can be generous, Pastor Daniel. What about all those entrepreneurs that have given most of their wealth in order to to fund public ministries and churches and hospitals and all of these things and orphanages. Isn't that good? Yeah, it is. This passage says it is wrong to want to be rich. It's not wrong. We're going to see this in a minute. It's not wrong to be rich, but if it is your dream to be rich, run from that dream. It's a nightmare. It's not a good fantasy. Look at verse 9. I... How can you say it more clearly? He says this, those who desire to be rich. He then, he kind of, he lays this like, this progress. This, 
this process of what happens, they, they fall into dangerous for you to be tempted. That's stage one. You're, you fall into temptation, and there are all these advertisements, all these alluring. I mean, if those are fisher, fishermen, you're trying to you get lures in order to trick the fish to get onto the lure. It hooks them. What's the second thing? It, it's they're snared. It says, lured into a temptation, they're snared, they're caught into the snare. And those that desire to rich, they're entrapped. And it says they're entrapped and it leads into harmful and senseless desires. And it says they're plunged into ruin and destruction. That idea is they're drowned in it. it they're, they drowned in it. And he says, he could be more clear to say, don't desire to be rich. You get rich, to glory be to God, you know you have a responsibility, but don't make that your goal. Don't make the goal of your work to be rich. Don't make the goal of your career. Young people sitting in these front rows as you go out, don't make riches or being wealth your goal. Something that, that is very dangerous. It is sin to desire it, and it will lead you to ruin, he says. But I want you to see number five. Loving money leads to so much pain. This, these are just overlap. Verse Point number four and point five. Point four is the dream of being rich is a nightmare, not a fantasy. Point five is loving money leads to so much pain. Do you see verse 10? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This is like a proverb. In fact, there was an ancient Greek proverb that says, the love of money is the mother city of evils. In this case, it says the love of money, it doesn't say is the root, it says a root of all kinds of evils. It's not saying money is the root of all evil, it's saying the love of money is. It is through this cravings that some have even wandered from the faith, they have left the faith, they have lost Christ, they, they made a good profession of their faith, but they're like the seed that was sowed, and the cares of this world just took them away. And their faith was choked up, and they proved to not truly be disciples. It's not they lost their salvation. They proved that they truly weren't disciples in the first place. They didn't have real saving faith. Can you think about the root of all, the root of all kinds of evils is, is the love of money? Just think what money does when we love it. When you say, I want money, I want to get rich, it leads people to use people. So if you're, if you're an employer... You, use, you view your employees as people to use, not people to serve for the glory of God. Money can make people, parents use their kids or use your boss as just a means rather than a way to glorify God. Pastors can use church members as, I'm going to use you to get more money. Your customer is a means of more money. It doesn't lead us to love. It, the love of money leads to jealousy and envy and hatred and ultimately murder, if not in literal murder, but in the heart. It leads to theft and it leads to the little theft, and just the, the small little things that, oh, nobody's going to really find out about to the things that, man, if they found out I'm going to prison. I never thought I'd get there. I, I, thought, I loved money. I wanted that. It leads to a stingy heart that lacks generosity. It leads to, the, the, I said theft, but fraud, and it leads to deception and cover-ups. 
because if, if I tell the truth, that's going to hurt my salary or it's my bonus or my, my tax return. Um, loving money f- can lead to our finding our self-worth in what we have rather than who we have, Christ. And he says the sign of this is many have wandered from the faith. In fact, a sign of people loving money often in churches is, I love money, and it's, well, because I love money and I love what money brings me, um, I'm going to make decisions where I, I'm not going to be with the people of God as much because i got to work this job or I have to maintain this boat or this vacation home. I need to do all these types of things. And they're going off. And he says here that, it, that people are wandering from the faith, the people of God and from the word of God, because of their love of money. This will ask, us, ask all of us this morning. I ask myself, I ask young people here, as you dream and you think about it, what do you love? Do you love money or God? Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love God and money. They are not compatible. Now, number six, Let's move to the next one. Number six, being rich is not a sin. Okay, I'm not here to say the church of God, the Bible does not say you're rich, watch out. It's not like old communism that said you're rich, we're going to take it away from you, and we're going to demonize you as the evil. No, but being rich is not a sin, but it comes with a big warning sign. If we're rich... and And I'm going to say this, most of us as Americans are rich, comparatively speaking, to most of the world. We're rich in the fact that we have more than our necessities. We have enough to help people out. We have enough to actually fulfill the rest thing. This is what he says. Being rich is not a sin, but it comes with a big warning sign. Watch out for pride and watch out for misplaced trust. Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... He says, charge them, urge them not to be haughty. You know know what can happen when we get money? I must be pretty important, or at least more than him, because I actually have more money than he does. And we we get into some kind of, I mean, this is this this is insanity. This is this is not this is not reality. We actually think we're better. And he says, if you're rich, don't think you're better. Don't think you like got on the higher tier with God because he gave you money. Who do you think you are? Anybody, all that you've received comes from the Lord, Corinthians says. What have you had that you haven't received? So why do you act as though you haven't received it as a gift? So don't be proud. Don't be presumptuous to think that you're the source of all of this and that you're good and you're in and of itself because of that wealth. Watch out. Big warning sign. Be humble. Be thankful. Be humble to those who are rich. But so also is misplaced trust. We know this. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I'm so anxious because of this financial need. And then you find out, oh, the thing, our finances aren't as bad as I thought. Whew. Thank God I have more money than I, than I thought I had. Whew, now I'm secure. Really? 
more secure than if God was taking care of you and he was in the first place and all the time? As though money was certain? As though money is going to take care of cancers and diseases and hearts and, and family members and the deepest burdens and desires of your heart? That it's going to take care of those things and it will last? It won't. And he's going to say, be careful because you could put your hope in the uncertainty of riches and that's suicidal because you'll find yourself going there and riches just, they lure you to say, yeah, a little bit more and then you'll be secure. A little bit more and you, like all of the things that you would worry about are taken care of and you have that buffer and everything's good. A little, little more and it just, it's not. It's, it's not wrong to necessarily to save. It's not wrong to, to use those gifts that you have to meet the needs that you have and more. But be careful that you do not put your trust in wealth. But he says, but in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Can, can you just see that here? So in the midst of all this, you might go, is it wrong to enjoy anything? Because, oh man, we'd be content with just food and coverings. We can't take anything. Well, he says here, you rich, okay, be really thankful. Enjoy what he's given you, but be really careful that you're not going to be proud and don't put your hope in that at all. You might enjoy that luxury. You might enjoy going out together in that movie and go out to eat and go on that vacation. Enjoy that, that luxury that's not a necessity. Give thanks to God, but remember the only reason why you have anything is because of God's kindness to you. Don't put your hope or your trust or your dependence on anything but Him. You see, it all comes back to be satisfied in Him. Look to Him. Want Him more than money. Quickly get in the way where I don't need to trust in Him because I have all and all. And then eventually, someday... Later on, you realize the hard way. Man, all the things I was putting my hope in, money, possessions, and all the things that those things acquire for me, boy, they're really uncertain. Notice what Paul says, for those, the rich in this present age, all of us must have a perspective of the ages. You might have riches in this present age, but that doesn't mean nothing for the future age. And he says, those that are rich in this present age, you have a responsibility. Is that for Peter Parker? With great responsibility comes great, I mean, with great ability comes great responsibility. And so it is for the rich. Number seven, being rich means you are called to a generous life with your time and money. So he says, he's rich, watch out, warning sign, it's all over, Be, watch out for pride, watch out for setting your hope in the wrong things, and oh, by the way, enjoy the things God has given you, but within reason, because he's going to say, you are called to a great life of responsibility of investing. You're going to invest your life, and you're going to invest your time, and you're going to invest your money. Look what he says, they are to do good. That, that's just a general statement. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. And they're to be generous and ready to share. You see in the book of Acts, 
some of them selling their entire properties in order to give for the widows and give for others that are in need. They're giving in Corinthians, in, in Philippians, or the, the, Philipp, the Philippian church gave generously. The Macedonians gave generously for the needs of others. And he says, oh, you, you've been given so that you can give generously. You are to think and you are to scheme about your, you get more money and you go, what can I do to give it away? What can I do it to to help others that don't have? How can I pursue? Because here's an opportunity for me to remind myself with my expenditures, my hope is in God and not money. I want to see God at work in my life, not money at work in my life primarily. I want to see God's faithfulness, not the false faithfulness of what I thought money brought. Paul says to the, uh, the writer to the Hebrews at the end of Hebrews 13, he says, do not love money and be content with all things that you have. For I have said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the type of giving here is going to say, I'm going to give and I'm going to give in order to be generous. I'm going to give of myself, my acts of service, my time. Even if it's going to cost me money to give of my time, because I have a greater possession and an abiding one, and that's my God and who is my growing contentment, my growing satisfaction. I, I want to end with this one, this number eight. Both the rich and the poor take hold of true life when they view money as a means of hoping in and being satisfied in God over everything. The rich and the poor, if you're in here and you're in between those stages, no matter where you are, you take hold of true life as you view money. Either you're not having much, very little, or you're actually having a lot of margin, or you could have margin if you made choices in your life that are different. You can use money as a means of growing in your hope in God and being satisfied in God. It might be saying, I like doing this and I like having this safety net. Or I like doing this and this pleasure, but boy, I have so many other things. And God has called me to sacrificially give to the church or give to this mission or give to this missionary or give to the special need in Flint or give it to somebody I know in this church or the grace fund, a certain need. And oh, I'm going to... And even though I'm going to give that, it's going to pinch me some. Oh, it's going to allow me to test the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And if he doesn't deliver a double check in the next month, I'm not going to worry because he's teaching me contentment in him that, oh, he's better than money. He is all I have is Christ. And oh, I, as we conclude this sermon, this sermon can't make sense to any of us as Christ by faith. And so this, the, promises of, the, the per promises of God being all satisfying to us and to take care of all of our needs and to be there for us, to be a God that will provide for us in our trial and to be one that we can actually set our hope in and for Him to be our Father and our guide and our care is only promised to those that have received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. They have repented of their sins and they've turned to Christ and accepted what Jesus did on the cross for them and have, have said, I want to follow you by faith turn away from my sins and receive you. Oh, this is ours. This promise is to us. Oh, I pray that 1 Timothy have our hearts satisfied in any way in the false certainty 
of money, possessions, savings accounts, or retirement plans, all of which are not bad necessarily, but they're a terrible place to put your hope in. And I pray that we would so live and demonstrate that our hope is in God who richly provides for us. A God who has saved and satis- is growing, growing our satisfaction in Him because we're not all there yet, but He's growing us to be satisfied in all that He is for us in Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're going to conclude with singing, Be Thou My Vision. An old hymn that says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, thou in all ways. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as a people, help us as a church, as a family of God, to so behave in the body of Christ as that we use money to hope in you and not in money. I pray that we would, we would give generously, we would love generously. I pray that we would not desire wealth. God, for those that you make wealthy in this church, I, I thank you that you're going to do that Um, or you have done that, in order for them to be a blessing to others. And so help us to image the glory of God by our generosity. Help me that is rich to grow in generosity and all of us that have been called it and give us a contentment in Christ. In Jesus' name.